Voice of the Bombers, one-on-one with Mike O'Shea, the Bombers Coaches Show on 680 CJOB. Good evening, everybody. 780-6868. You can phone or you can text. Mike O'Shea is in studio. And I'm going to start off with a text question from Michael in San Antonio, who's a regular, and this is a great place to start. Coach, congrats on the win over the Argos. It felt like two different games. First half spectacular, second half less spectacular. <laughs> How concerned are you about what appeared to be a drop in productivity and intensity in the second half? Well, there were there were parts of the second half where that that was the case, but um, I, I I would say I'm not concerned. Um, it is hard. The game gets extremely long when you go up twenty-one nothing in a in a in a heartbeat, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it just seems to drag on from there. I do think we played better in the first half than the second. Uh, I hate to say it's a natural uh, sort of process that the guys are going to go through, but I think it's it's not a bad thing to learn from that uh, the guys can be aware of what that felt like in the second half and, and maybe curb it the next time. It's kind of... Uh... It struck me as odd at the end of the game. You had a 27-point win, and yet I, I knew, knowing you and the way the players feel, that there would be not the normal kind of celebration you get after a 27-point win because of the way the second half transpired. And yet at, at halftime, it's 37-6. to six. And, Mike, you've been in dressing rooms as a player where you're up similarly at halftime. Yeah, I've been down similarly too. Yes, so. yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> but so when you're up like that, um, and I know you only speak on, on on your behalf, but how do you sort of come out and convince yourself that this contest is still up for grabs? Is that hard? Oh uh, yeah, we don't. I don't guess I don't talk like that. Um, I mean. I do mention to them that you don't know what's going to happen on the very next pl- on the next play, so you got to keep playing the way football is supposed to be played. Um, but you know, you're you're they know what the score is, <laughs> they know what they've done already, you know. So I, you can't hide from that either. I thought it was telling in that coaches, and you're not alone. I think all coaches feel this way. You you rarely feel a game is secure until in the late stages when you're up by a certain number of points. So you get the goal line stand with just over three minutes to go. If they go in from the one-yard line, now it's a two-score game. You're up two scores with three minutes to go. So as much as all night long everything mm-hmm. was totally under control, in the blink of an eye it can it can change, right? Yep. And those, uh, you know, those last three minutes in the CFL are fantastic mm-hmm. for fans. Yeah. Tough on coaches. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, to me, there's the, the ultimate message of why coaches rarely, rarely feel that it's in the bag until it's yep. actually in the bag. Yep. Yeah. Until, the, until the math and the timing add up to uh, being so favorable that you can um, change your play calling and, and maybe some players. Yeah. First half, though, you had to love what you saw. Yeah, I mean, obviously the excitement that uh, the special teams created uh, in the first few special teams plays was was fantastic for our club. Lucky Whitehead returns the opening kickoff, and then you get Charles Nelson with an 81-yarder right after, and it just, I don't know what sort of uh, 
high that creates on the bench. I can only imagine, but it had the players had to be walking on air at that point. Uh, yeah, I think they were very excited. I think you know, there's, you know, because of the CFL style of game, the special teams the way they are. There's so many guys on the team involved in special teams, so they're. Um, and then there's the aspect of some guys that are maybe a little fly under the radar that the their teammates really love and respect, um, getting uh, a chance to celebrate in the end zone, which is uh, a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, special teams. Tell me about Thomas Miles and the game he had. Yeah, he had a big game. Made some tackles. Uh, you know, generally he's he's around the ball all the time. Um, like a lot of them, they, like I said, they, you know, until Mike Miller goes with, you know, hits it out of the park with seven tackles, a lot of these guys go <laughs> go unnoticed. Mm. And Thomas Miles is another one that, you know, his teammates know exactly what he brings to the table and, and how good he is on special teams. Um, but the rest of the viewing audience maybe doesn't, but he had a, he had a heck of a game. He was also in there on that goal line stand and uh, came over the top and, and yep. helped stop at one point, didn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. Yeah. A uh, question from a texter. Will Big Hill and Matthews be ready against Ottawa? They seem to be on schedule. And is your safety able to play as well? That would be Jeff Hecht. Yep, looks like he's could be ready to go. Jermarcus Hardrick? Looks good. Jesse Briggs, not so much? He's going to need a bit of time. Yeah. yeah. Back to Big Hill, though. You think he's going to be ready this week? Well, he was real close last week. Yeah. Oh, he should be. I think so. Okay. Gary, you're on the coach's show with Michael Shea. Go ahead, Gary. Good evening, guys. I have a question for both of you. I'll start with Bob. It's very rare you see a, a kickoff return the first play of the game, but I'm thinking if Nelson could have made another four yards and scored that one, that must have, that would have been a record. What do you think, Bob? Uh, can you ever recall that happening? No, I can't. My guess is that it has, but it would be extremely rare. I, I do not know, though, off the top of my head, uh, Gary, if it's ever happened. I noticed that while I watched the replay of Nelson running, he could have made it all the way, but he kept on checking over his shoulder like he, you know, someone was close. That maybe cost him the four yards. Also, when he was running down the sideline, he kept a. Is the ball in the right-hand side, that's uh, something he maybe has to be coached on because if he would have had some pursuit, somebody could have knocked it out. Uh, coach, you've been there for six years. you think that's the best team that f- play from your special teams in those six years? Oh, boy. I, I, yeah, it was pretty darn good. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, I can't remember us scoring right away and, and putting us in that kind of position um, right after. There, you know, there was one game in, in, in BC where, you know, we ran a fake punt, we blocked a kick, we had a big return, uh, we kicked five field goals. Like, there, was a, there was a win in BC where the special teams um, stepped up in, in every facet that they were asked to, um, which was pretty unique to see them, like I said, blocking a kick, uh, running a fake, uh, kicking five field goals. I think we stopped a fake. Like it was it was one of those games, huge return. It was one of those games where it was special team, big special team play after big special teams play. But this this was pretty unique to see those two big returns 
But no doubt those two quick touchdowns, that has to have a great demoralizing effect on the other team. Put you I, in I, I don't know. Uh, I would assume that if we got scored on twice quickly, that our team would rise to the occasion. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So I wouldn't put that on another team and say that they'd be demoralized because I wouldn't want our guys to be demoralized either. Well, four and zero is a great start, but five and zero would even be better. And I have to say this, Bob, we all love you. <laughs> okay, Gary. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it, Donald. You're on the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea. Go ahead, Donald. Yes. Uh, first of all. Uh, um, uh, Bob, uh, your shows, from listening it on the radio, it's a very tight show, very well produced on that one. And then, Mike, on that run back by Whitehead, when you looked at the films, did you see anything, anybody stand out that made him um, be able to run the back, back all the way, or was it the whole team doing it? Well, I think it was well executed in terms of the... Um initial part where there was a little bit of deception involved and I think um, Lucky's first 10 or so yards heading in the opposite direction before he put his foot in the ground he changes direction very quickly and gets back up to speed um, exceptionally well so um, as he heads to the you know away from our bench the opposite way of the return for like I said about 10 yards plants his foot in the ground changes direction comes back the other way our blockers did a, a real nice job of allowing um, the pursuers to get inside leverage, and then they just sealed them off. So I thought it was pretty well executed in that regard. And then the guys took off uh, sort of leading the charge and picked picked other uh, potential tacklers off sort of one by one. And, um, you know, it's a credit to Paul Boudreau, our special teams coordinator. You know, we've got a certain drill we do that, that you know, that looks like that drill. Um, so... I, you know, credit to the players for bringing a drill to the to the field, and a credit to to Boo for for making sure they they understand the drill. Okay, Donald. Yeah. Anyways, uh, take care, Mike. Yep. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you, Donald. Here's a text from David. Hey, Bob and Mike. Uh, Mike in particular. Congrats on four and zero. Chandler Fenner keeps getting burned by receivers for at least hundred yards a game these last four, and as a positive makes the plays when it's critical. What do you say, Mike, to keep him even keel and not let the bad with the good get him down? Oh, he's a pro. Uh, you know, he, he comes to work every single day. I don't know that he needs a, a pep talk in that regard. He, he likes to be coached. He watches the film. He recognizes when he's, he's played a, a certain play, uh, you know, not to his standard. And um, he spends more time on that than staring at the ones that he does real well. And he does, you know, he's extremely athletic. He's a, a run-all-day type of guy. He's physical, um, loves the game, loves preparing for the game. And, and so, um, you know, he, there's, there's always coaching to be done with every guy, whether they have an outstanding game or, or whether they have a less-than-stellar game. But Chandler Fenner, uh, you know, in, in our first four games has made a lot of plays for us too, so... Um, I, I just trust how professional he is, and I know that he's always working to get better. It's brought to you by Bear Crop Science, science for a better life. We'll be back with the Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea on 680 CJOB. The Bombers Coaches Show on 680 CJOB. 
Michael Shea didn't practice today. Now, typically in a week like this, you would take uh, Saturday and Sunday off, practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Why did you not go out there today? Uh, I'd like to say it's because I was so smart at managing the heat, you know, and not, not letting our players get out there. But um, it was a it was a physical game. We talked about uh, revising the schedule, and then we confirmed it sort of right after the game that we'd give the players an extra day. Now, they, they all came in. It was a mandatory lift day, so they were all in the weight room. And then after that, guys were obviously uh, checking up on Ottawa's last game and doing some extra work on their own. Um, but uh, I think rest is important. We, we demand uh, a tremendous amount of physicality from our players. Um, and so, you know, with that comes needed rest. So when you can, because we're on a, a pretty long stretch here of, yep. of games in a row, anytime I can manufacture a, a, an extra rest day, I'm going to try and do it. Um, it doesn't always work out like that. But once again, they, 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 got, they got their work in. They, they worked hard in the weight room today. And, and when they're sort of in there as a group, then they stick around and do a little extra time together watching film. Yeah, text question, great win. We'll be there for number five, which is against Ottawa Friday night. Can you please explain why the clock continued to run towards the end of the first half after Andrew Harris clearly went out of bounds on his two runs and you had to settle for a field goal? I'd say that's just human error. You know, it's uh, it happens. So um, there, there, is, there is an interesting, a couple of years ago they went... Uh, they emphasize the idea of forward progress being stopped. So even if you're along the sideline, um, if a defender gets in front of you and stops your forward progress, your forward momentum before you go out of bounds, or if you're going backwards as you go out of bounds, then they're going to mark you as inbounds, as forward progress being stopped before you actually got out of bounds. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case on the first on the first run, but on the second one. Um, on the first long one to get us down there on the, on the first play at the 24 second mark where we went out of bounds and had four seconds left to kick the field goal that I could see that being marked as, as being inbounds. Cause I thought his forward progress was stopped, but the one, the long one to get us down there, um, he was out of bounds and, and there was a mistake made. That's all. Yeah. And for those who don't understand, or maybe have forgotten, if you go out of bounds inside the final three minutes of either half, the clock stops and does not start until, the ball is snapped. Yep. So going out of bounds can be a strategic move. Uh, here's a question from Jason in Drumheller. Do you like playing the same team twice in a short time frame, being Ottawa two weeks apart? Why or why not? I do. Um, one of the reasons why is it gives the it gives the team a chance to have an extra rest day because you're preparing for the same opponent. The, a lot of the work is already done, so it also helps the coaches in terms of um, their daily routine and their prep, it gives them a little bit more time to rest um, because a lot of the um, scouting report work and, and all the forms and everything that we give out the players, the film cut-ups, they've already been done, you know, so you're adding basically uh, one game to those cut-ups, one game to the report, so it's uh, the work goes a lot uh, more efficiently. Gives the like I said, gives the players probably an extra day's rest, um, and I think you need to take it because the monotony of seeing the same plays over and over again for two weeks in a row can drag on the players. So you want them mentally fresh too. So an, an extra day helps with that. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. This text is from Alvin 
Nice win on Friday. Great performance by the team. I was very impressed by Jeff Cote and also Thomas Miles. Always happy to see those Canadian linebackers step up when given a chance. Speaking of which, from a ratio standpoint, if Briggs can't go for the next game, does Lalama come in for him or do Miles or Goche move up the depth chart and play in the middle? That's a, he's assuming that Big Hill can't play either. Well, I'm 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 hopeful that Biggie will play, but yes, there's always guys uh, waiting in the waiting in line to to get their opportunity, and and those guys would all um, factor into any opportunity that comes that way. Alvin also says I'd uh, like to give a special shout out to my father-in-law Tom Chapman. He's been a season ticket holder since 1969. That's 31, 50, 50 years. 50 years. 50 years. And it's his. 87th birthday on Friday. We'll all be in town helping him cheer on the Big Blue, and here's hoping we can win one for the Gipper. (laughs) (laughs) You got one for the Gipper there, Coach? Happy birthday. Yeah. All right, 780-6868. We'll take a break and come back and take more of your calls and texts for the Coach of the Blue Bombers. It's the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea on 680-CJOB. The Bombers Coach's Show on 680-CJOB. We go to the phone lines. Omer, you're on with Michael Shea. Go ahead, Omer. Well, hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I got a couple questions for Mike. Uh, given the new rules on practicing, like full contact practice with with pads, um, would you say, like, uh, is it tougher for your uh, alignment, defensive lineman, and offensive lineman um, to be the next man up with not having played at the full game speed or being able to practice at full game speed. Um, I noticed on your defense, you're rolling in Jake Thomas and Craig Rowe, but on the offense, we're not seeing you roll um, your substitutes in as much. Is that something you may have to do? Given well, the new practice, the way that the practices are? Yeah, well, this last game we did. They did get a chance to play because Jamarcus Hardrick went down. So um, Cody Speller, who's a center, turned into a guard, was turned into a tackle that night, and he did uh, performed admirably, really. Um, and our young draft pick, Drew Desjardins, got into the game and, and played. Did well. He's a strong, tough kid, so they all are, really. Um, so they got their chances to play. Uh, it's interesting. I think we've adapted quite well to uh, non-padded practices. The guys get uh, a decent amount of work in. Um, they are doing a great job of keeping the you know their hits off each other so they're not wearing each other out and they it forces them to work more technique um which is is pretty good I imagine if you saw Drake Nevis and and Steve Richardson and Jake Thomas uh just bull rushing you all day in practice cuz you have pads on um that would not be as productive as as maybe what they do now I still would like the idea of uh, you know some pads at some point it's uh you know, so they stay sharp. But I do think it, it's it's helped them continue to work and focus on technique more than just raw power because these guys all have power and they all know how to use it. It's uh, it's 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 nice when they combine power with with moves. Okay, Omer. Great. Yep. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks Have for the call. Good luck on Friday. Thank we'll you. Either. Bye. Uh, here's a text question. I see the center communicating something on each play. Is he telling his O-line that the defensive line has shifted from the previous play? Give us an idea of what uh, your center, the calls he makes on each play and what they're about, just generally. 
Oh, this is another text from a Saskatchewan fan. Here. <laughs> this is, um, well, the center is is absolutely the quarterback of the offensive line. And before any play starts, he's going to identify um, some key uh, markers that the offensive line uses then to talk about their protection or their blocking schemes. And from there, they're going to each have calls that um, allow them to execute the proper blocking scheme because the defense can come and line up however they want. They're not just going to stay static, um, so they do shift, and they're not just going to show up in the exact pitcher uh, that we may have shown them on tape from the last game they played. So we have to have all these tools in place for the offensive line to make adjustments to get the play blocked uh, so it's successful and to... um, get the protection, you know, in, in a pass play, get the protection set so that we can get the ball off. So the center really is, uh, he really is the quarterback of the offensive line and there is a ton of communication and there is way more calls than than I think people could really fathom about mm-hmm. how they execute a certain a, a play. It, it really is um, fascinating. Far more complex than you could tell just by watching the players. Yeah, that group in particular has to be always on the same page. Mm. And so there is a ton of communication from the center out and the tackles in. Uh, we, we are fortunate that, that uh, I mean, Marty Costello does a great job with the O-line and and our two tackles are, are veteran guys. Obviously, Stanley Bryant has been a, uh, an Offensive Lineman of the Year award winner a couple times. Jamarcus Hardrick is a guy who drives practice and, and it, with the way he hustles and he's really smart and he's upped his communication this year too to make sure he's they're, they're both, both tackles are looking after the young guys inside to make sure we're on the right page. So um, they, they, yeah, they, they spend so much time together making sure that they're um, a unit. Here's a question from David. What is your favorite city to travel to? Other than ours, and he asked it of both you and I. Well, I love traveling to all of our great Canadian CFL cities. All of them. I won't. I won't say I have a favorite. I don't have a favorite. Do you, Mike? Oh, I'm good about each one of them. Yeah, I'm being diplomatic when I say that, but uh, I don't want to. I could tell you which ones I don't like going to. How's that? No, I won't tell you that. Um, hi, Mike. You already discussed the how the game seemed to be two games in one. Take away three plays, the score would have been different. Next game's against Ottawa. You beat them on their home turf, so they have a chip on their shoulders against the Bombers. Plus, they don't want to go below 500. Should be a good game. So does it... Ottawa comes in here. You beat them last time you played them. Um, Do they have a chip on their shoulder, in your view? Doesn't everybody. (laughs) You know, I think every team comes prepared to play and prepared to win. So I don't know that this is any different. Uh, Here's a text question. Does the offensive play calling change according to the score? Some people think you are just trying to win by one as opposed to trying to score on every drive. This is from Gord. Um, We we are trying to score. Uh, We're also trying to uh, play the game um, within the game, and that's manage the clock and limit the other team's opportunities. So... um, if we thought we had something and you could score in one play, yeah, we would do that. But at a certain point in the game, you, you do want to use as much clock as possible and and drive down and score. So um, 
if you're able to do that, then you really are in control of the game. And I, I guess we might not have been in control of the game in that regard in terms of our our execution and our cleanliness of the of, of the way we played to allow us to drive the length of the field, maximize our time of possession, and score, which would be ultimately the goal when you're when you're uh, leading or 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 at any point in the game, you'd love to be able to drive the field, control the clock, the ball, and the score. That's that would be um, a sign of a, a, a of a of being in command of the game. A texter, Reuven, says, Hey, coach, does the fact that you were missing your starting safety and offensive right tackle for pretty much the entire game mitigate in any way your criticism of the team's second-half performance? What did I criticize them? <laughs> I think I was aware that, that we didn't play as well in the second half at times. But um, no, obviously the guys that come in and play uh, – when they get their opportunities, they're expected to play to a standard that we set um, for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, and they and they they will, and they want to. You know, here's uh, another texter saying, "We are not scoring enough on turnovers. Seven points on fourteen turnovers is scary. Is that what it is? That's uh, fourteen points off of fifteen turnovers, which is basically the same. I, I can agree with that. We haven't scored enough on." Part of that is, you know, last year I think we had five defensive touchdowns. The year before that we had more than that. Yeah. So we haven't we haven't scored yet. I think on on uh, on defense yet. So um, that'll come. Here's one uh, from Ken saying, "Do you see the Argos finishing the year? Well, they will finish the year, Ken. There's in my mind, there's no doubt about that." I don't know if you want to comment on that or not, Coach O'Shea, but I know they're going through a tough time. But they're going uh, through a tough time. Teams, fi- teams do that, and, yeah. and I have a lot of faith in that franchise and the league. Yeah, they'll finish the year for sure. Congrats, Mike. Good game. Why not play Chris Streveler? Game was pretty much over by the half. If you say they're all starters, why not show it? That's a good point, but we talked about that earlier. You mm-hmm. brought it up. It's you... Uh, you, you you just never believe that that it's it's over that the game game's in hand, you know those reps are are valuable for for everybody out there, not just Chris Streveler or, or Matt Nichols, but um, we'll continue to to manage the game as as we see it. I, I could I think I could say this fairly confidently, and I, this question comes up periodically that in all the years I've watched football, I can never remember a time where a coach took his number one quarterback out of the game at halftime regardless of how far ahead they were. I can never, ever remember that happening. Can you? Nope. 780-6868. Back with the Coaches Show with Michael Shea on 680 CJOB. The Bombers Coaches Show on 680 CJOB. Text question for Michael Shea. Would you agree this is the best set of receivers you have fielded? As they double number oh double number seven, it seems Adams and Dembski are wide open. Okay, the best set of receivers, and does doubling Lucky Whitehead open up space for Adams and Dembski? Yeah, I don't know that I'm that I would ever compare one group to the next in terms of uh, get an entire group. You know, there's we've had good receivers before, and we've got good receivers now. So um, it's it's. It, they're fun to be around. They're fun to watch. They 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 certainly work hard in practice, and they like being out there. Um, 
Yeah, that's all I got about that. Uh, Adams and Dembski. Now, I think the the last game you played, maybe in Ottawa, they kind of rolled up on Whitehead a little bit and opened some other guys up. That that yeah, happens, right? I mean, it's. I think our our offense is obviously well coordinated, and they're the guys are well coached, and uh, we seek out certain opportunities, and and when we get them, they look like. Dembski on long explosion plays where he looks like he's wide open and Matt delivers the ball and it's uh, it's a, a great play and it's like I said it's it's well designed and well executed by by good players so um, yeah I think there's should be some more of that in the future and I think they're right you know you've got a when we get asked these questions in the in the media scrums about all the weapons somebody has or or sometimes do you have to stop this one guy. Well, it's, I don't think it's ever like that, that you have to stop one guy. I think there's certain times where you focus on certain people based on the, the scouting reports and the stats of when players um, get their touches and, and how you defend it. And obviously you have to defend every quarterback because they're pro quarterbacks and, and they're the ones that the whole offense runs through. Is Dembski reaching a new level this year? I think he's he's given some been given some good opportunities and he's he's made good on them. Yeah, he's he's a good player. We've always known he's a good player, a good athlete. Yeah. He's, you know, I think he's he's just been um, it's maybe been showcased for him a little bit more and and been given his this opportunity, which I think is excellent. But some games it'll be that he's it's hard to get him a you know a, a, an explosion. You know, it might be somebody else. Two players from Friday that. Uh... I want to make sure we talk about one of them is Andrew Harris, who went over 8,000 yards rushing for his career. And I, you're not big on milestones. I know that. You've said that before. But he rushed for over 100 yards, and it kind of it just drives home the point to me of what a great career he's had. Yeah, he's had a fantastic career. He's not done yet. That's what I'm most interested in is what he's going to continue to do. Um, yeah, those numbers are, 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 are nice. They're flattering for sure, I, you know. As I talked to Andrew about it, I, I am amazed. Um, uh, you know, just at how how good he is. You know, he surprises you still. I mean, I, I expect that level from him, but also there are times where you just go, wow, is he ever good? Like at everything he does for the football team. So um, very pleased for him, and I know he's going to keep rolling along. Jackson Jeffcoat, I thought was brilliant the other night. His stat line was at <laughs> one tackle, a sack, and a forced fumble. But man, he was in the backfield the whole night. Yep, he was he was vicious. So it doesn't always show up as stats, um, but like as we talked about before, uh, he'll make a lot of plays that don't turn into uh, a number on a stat page. Um, but it is him making plays, uh, forcing the quarterback into a bad throw. Um, you know, pushing a blocker back into the running back, uh, those type of things. He was, he's he's a very smart defender. Also, he he understands how to how to win. Uh, Corey says this is a question about your coordinators. Do they have full reign on the game plan, or at what point do you take control or dictate which schemes to run or switch up to? Anytime it looks crappy, I'm calling the plays. <laughs> Anytime it looks excellent and everybody's happy about it. They're calling the plays. Yeah. You do give your coordinators pretty wide latitude, though, don't you? Why wouldn't I? They're they're excellent. Uh, here's another one. It says, don't count Toronto out. BC went 0-5 and won the Grey Cup. 
And that's true. Now, they it, did. They yeah, did. That was in 2011 against the Blue Bombers, as a matter of fact. And as, as bad as it looks for Toronto right now, and I mean, it's hard for me to imagine they could do what he's referencing, but teams will start poorly and come on strong and vice versa, won't they? That's why you play the games. Yeah. Mike Riley was talking the other day about they they went 7-0 and to start one year and then lost, I think, six in a row. Yep. And then wasn't won their ago. last five. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yep. So the streaks, well, you guys have gone through some streaks too where everything looks great and then you have a bit of a dip and you come back and win some in a row. You did that last year. There are ebbs and flows to every season. Yeah. And if you, as a head coach, if you can figure out when they're about to come up, you'd be a genius. Yeah, <laughs> you're still working on that, I'll bet. Well, I'm not a genius. <laughs> you know well, that. Well, not working on being a genius, but <laughs> the ebbs and flows. Uh, what will the ratio look like with Briggs out and hopefully Big Hill back? This is from John in Swan River. Good to hear from you, John. Uh, I'm not sure yet. This is one of those things that we uh, we move guys in and out at practice all the time. Guys are always ready to go, and then sort of at the end of day three and beginning of day four, we put together the, the final roster for the game, but... Yeah. Um, you know, as with every injury comes another opportunity for someone else and it's, uh, never how a player wants to get their opportunity, but it's an opportunity nonetheless, and guys are going to step up and take it. Um, but I, you know, it's, um, that's the hard part about football, but it's also where the next star is found, right? So the public here, Mike is super excited about this team and so they should be here four and old. Uh, first time in a long time, chance to go to 5-0 and for the first time in a very long, long time, but still a long way to go in this season. Give me your kind of assessment of where you're at and how you feel now about the way your team has played and will play. Well, I think we'll continue to improve. I think there will be times in games where we're not playing our best football, and there will be games where we play our best football for an entire game. So... As I just said, ebbs and flows in every season and in every game. Um, the, you know, the the point is to just continue to improve, continue to get smarter, um, maintain a standard that's set extremely high, and and have the players um, have the players monitor that standard amongst themselves. You know, it's it really is their team and. Um, We'll get to a point where the coaches are, well, along for the ride, mm-hmm. you know. But you'll be looking for signs, I'm sure, as all head coaches do, that maybe things are a little off, or maybe we need to do this, or maybe this is getting a little off the rails. Is that is that what you need to do now to to monitor this this bunch beyond try to get them to play good football every week? Like I said, I think these guys, the leadership core is is pretty darn good. I think they. Uh, are pretty in tune with with um, how the team is is or the direction the team is headed. So um, I don't think they give themselves much of a break. I think they work extremely hard, and uh, it's pretty easy when you know if a practice or part of a practice doesn't go well. I, I don't get a chance to really say much. It's already being um, pushed okay. on the player level. Ottawa Red Blacks are here Friday night. The show is brought to you by Bear Crop Science, Science for a Better Life, and we'll be back next Monday with another edition of the Coach Show with Michael Shea on 680 CJOB.